Welcome to the show. This is the Magician and the Fool podcast, episode number 46. My name is Dominic. My co-host's name is Janice, and you'll hear from him in a little bit. Today we speak again to Ungan Rocky Geis. Um, We talked to Rocky back in episode 30. I would highly recommend you go and listen to that episode because it was a lot of fun and very informative. Rocky is a initiated voodoo priest, or ungan, and an all-around fun guy. You can find Rocky and his stuff on his website, Voodoo Sorcerer, V-O-D-O-U, sorcerer.com. There you can find a lot of informative articles as well as all of Rocky's services. I'm going to keep this intro on the shorter side because we did go a little bit long in the outro. I'd like to plug Rocky's Facebook group as well, Ancestors, Saints, Tarot, and Conjure. A lot of high-quality practitioners and discussions over there. So if you are on Facebook, one, I'm sorry, and two, if you're going to be there, you might as well check out something of, of quality. We'd like to give our heartfelt thanks to all of our supporters who are our long-time supporters, as well as our new supporters. It really helps to motivate us to uh, keep this ball rolling. So thank you. We sincerely appreciate it. If you would like to support what we're doing, just head over to Patreon and do what feels right to you. We dedicate this to Hermes and Asclepius, and may the merits we accumulate doing this work be distributed to all sentient beings so that they, together with us, may equally realize awakening. super happy and excited that returning guest Rocky Geis has agreed to come back on and talk to us. Um, it was a very successful show last time, very popular, and we had a blast. Uh, thanks for agreeing to come on again, Rocky. Well, thanks for having me again. Yeah, welcome thanks. back. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the season to be talking to you, I think, um, when we were t- uh, discussing who who we can have on for this season of all souls and Halloween, uh, your name kind of came right up to the top of the list. So uh, I I think it'll be nice uh, to chat with you during this time. No, it's a really important time of year where, um, you know, obviously, you know, the, the, the veils are thin as, as a lot of people like to say, which is true. And um, it's a great time to start communicating with ancestors. If you've never done, if someone hasn't done so before, now's the time to initiate those relationships. Um, people look at uh, spirituality as something built around calendar days and feast days, but it's more like seasons. And this is a really good season for budding practitioners or people that want to deepen their practice. It's it's a great time to start reaching out to those ancestors because they are your, they sh- I should rather say, they should be your first touchstone mm-hmm. into working with spirits and doing magic. For those of the audience who haven't listened to the last episode with you in it, um, would you mind giving a, a brief intro, who you are, what you do? 
Sure. Um, my name's Michael Geis. I go by Rocky uh, for so that there's no confusion there. I go by Rocky. It's been a family name. It's a family name that was given to me uh, unofficially at a young age. Uh, and I like to use it to distinguish myself from the other Ungan Michaels that are out there. Uh, I am what's called an Ungan, a voodoo priest. Uh, I was initiated by Gene Kent back in 2011. Uh, it's, I'm moving into my uh, anniversary as a voodooism, almost 10 years behind me as a priest. Um, I have been practicing magic since uh, for, for longer than I want to admit, uh, because I'm turning 40. I've been doing it since, uh, since high school, basically. And uh, voodoo specifically, I started to get my toe, my, dip my toe into the water of voodoo uh, in my mid-20s getting initiated right around the age of 31 and uh, I've never been happier. Um, I am a professional magician slash voodoo priest, which means I see clients. I try to help people with their spiritual problems. So, I mean, there are a lot of people out there who don't have teachers. Um, how, how would you say, I think as starting as a starting question, how, how do people identify a good spiritual teacher or a worker, because there's a lot of them out there. Everybody's got clients, you know, every, you know, Everybody. every 21 year old who, who picked up a pack, <laughs> pack of tarot cards two weeks ago has clients. So, I mean, how do you distinguish who's, who's good, who's bad? It's uh, kind of funny because we're in this age of information technology uh, and Anybody can create a platform for themselves to be heard. Um, TikTok has basically ch changed the game and and turning virtually nobodies into seemingly somebodies, and they're making money from it. Uh, not just with spiritual work, but just in general. Um, you know, it's an age of going viral seems to hold, and having clout on the internet seems to hold more importance than substance uh, and actual knowledge and experience. And it's a very confusing world because we have this we have this innate desire for instant gratification, and that is constantly being reinforced um, through Facebook alg algorithms. You know, showing you the product that you were just talking about with a friend on uh, through in, through Messenger, uh, and as well as just being completely overstimulated. Uh, you have a question? Sure, I can Google that. There's a wiki article on it, and it creates this very dangerous atmosphere for people that are genuine seekers of mysteries and of uh, seeking a spiritual path. And I said all that word just to, I said all those words just to get to this point to say, the only way you can identify a good spiritual teacher is one, someone that sees clients and two, someone that has references. When I met Gene, uh, my first impression wasn't that this guy is going to be my spiritual teacher. In fact, I was a little bit perturbed in that first encounter. Uh, he had a lot of intensity. There was just radiating presence around him. I could feel the magic in the air as he was telling me things about myself that there was no way, no way he could have known the things he was telling me unless there was a spirit providing him that information. Furthermore, uh, I spent another eight years deciding if what he was offering me was something that I truly wanted. 
at the time I had been, uh, I had met somebody that was, I considered to be my spiritual teacher. He was a golden dawn style magician, very much your very typical Western occultist. And he was so proud and happy to call me his student and tell me how gifted I was and how fortunate he was to find someone like me. And that never in his life had he ever considered that he would be teaching people magic that was so carefully taught to him by, you know, dropping really big names here at the time. And I'm not going to say names because I don't want to embarrass anybody as well as myself. Mm-hmm. But uh, he had an impressive uh, resume of teachers, uh, well-known people that run lodges that initiate people into Western hermetic and thelemic uh, tradition. And uh, all that being said, he was the worst teacher I could have ever possibly had. He was more interested in the results that I was getting, not for my own benefit, but just so that he could turn around and package them up into something that he could sell or try and make a career for himself out of it. Uh, He was not really interested in my well-being. He was interested in how I boosted his ego. So much so that when the time came, when I realized uh, what a wasted relationship this was, almost four years, um, uh, that when I confronted him about it, he exploded at me with all this vitriol. And what's funny is he was always just the nicest guy, always complimentary, always um, stroking my ego and that sort of stuff. And the moment I said that I didn't feel like he was being a real teacher, he just unleashed all this vitriol at me and I didn't even recognize the sound of his voice. Now this guy had real magic. I'd done ceremonies with him. He had real magic. He wasn't the most powerful person I'd ever met, but he definitely had power. And uh, it was disappointing to realize that I spent that much time with someone that really didn't have an interest in my own well-being. So after breaking off that relationship which was not the easiest thing to do. I decided to just float around for a couple of years. I knew that Gene was there. We had brief communications over the time since I first met him. And uh, I went out and I started looking for the path for me. I looked at Ifa, Lukumi. I looked at other forms of Western occultism. And I, create, I decided in my mind that uh, what I was going to commit myself to was going to be the thing that could fix the problems that I had because I had real problems. And I discussed these problems in the last interview, but basically to sum it up, I was broke, virtually homeless, and I was dealing with uh, seemingly psychological disorders that I'd never experienced before in my life. And I tried different workers, many of whom they spoke so eloquently. They really had something they wanted to sell me. I even spent money with them to see if they could fix my problems. And the only person that seemed to understand my problems was Gene Ken. So circling back or circling back to how does one identify a good teacher? It's not an easy answer. Because that person that's going to be a good teacher is going to be the most challenging person you've ever met in your life. Gene, my relationship with him has not been this great um, spiritual journey where I felt like, wow, I'm growing so much. He's just pushing me along in these ways and I feel great and healthy. No, I got yelled at. (laughs) I got yelled at a lot. 
Uh, my flaws were pointed out constantly, and it wasn't always pointed out in a way that I would have even considered uh, the best way to point out character flaws, but he made sure <laughs> to point out where I was making mistakes, <laughs> and he did so enthusiastically. But all in all, I, I appreciated it because it felt like an honest relationship. So how does one find a good spiritual teacher? Well, the first thing they have to do is start praying to their spirits. They need to start reaching out to their ancestors. They need to start reaching out to the saints or spirits that are that are around them. And by building a relationship with those spirits, will they find themselves drawn to the proper teacher? The proper teacher isn't necessarily looking for you. That's an important tip right there. The proper teacher isn't looking for students because they generally already have students. Some of them don't even want to teach. Some of them are obligated by their spirits. I would be worried about someone too enthusiastic to want to be your spiritual teacher or mentor. That that, uh, enthusiasm can sometimes translate into personality disorders later on down the road. And this stuff is deep and meaningful. And who you work with matters. Your path matters. At the very, the very least, you could end up wasting your time. At the worst, you could lose your mind or die. And yes, I've seen it happen. I've seen people misled and they go down a very bad path and it's, they have nothing but disasters in their life to show for it. So I never really answered the question, I know. Instead, I try, I'm trying to give people to think about. So if that flashy person on TikTok that's, you know, a young 20 something and they're showing up, they're flashing money. They're telling you how powerful they are and all that. Be, be skeptical. Take a step back. Think about what you really want. Think about that kind of relationship that you want. It's a non-answer, I know. Because there's no real correct answer. Because anything I say will be later contradicted <laughs> by something that comes up. No, but it's essential. It's essential. You know what? Um, we're inundated right now with TikTok, with Instagram, with uh, Facebook magicians. Look, don't look. Let's break it down to the most simple statement at all. Ninety percent of these people are fraudulent. They're fakes. Okay. Absolutely. Number one, you cannot be. And we were everyone sitting in this in this podcast right now, including probably many of our guests from the past too. We were all into magic, esotericism, all of these things at 19, 20, 21, 22. No one is at a point of mastery at that point in their life to be offering uh, professional services to anyone else. That is the period of your life that you are in uh, apprentice mode. And if you see people- you're just having fun, like you should be doing at that age. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're out there living life and, and experiencing things that you need to experience. You gotta, you gotta like let the ponies out at that age so that you can have the experience and not be uh, still chasing it when you're in your thirties and forties, your thirties and forties are really the time when you're settling down, yourself this right. time right now, this is a youth embrace your youth, enjoy and the, it. Um, and the thing is like vet, people if you like that's mm-hmm. the thing that rocky's trying to say here you need to vet people you need to say how much experience does this person have what are their references who is their teacher that's an important thing right there who is their teacher and i want to go a little bit further into that point if we say first who is their teacher 
a better a better statement is where is your community where are your people where are your elders you know people have come to mistake social media presence and followers as being an actual community and that is not the case at all a community are, is built by real life interactions real life dramas that we have to deal with real life relationships you can't teach you this uh, and i say this not just voodoo but the spiritual world if you've never had an elder who is your elder where is the community where did you learn how to deal with the spirits because the spiritual world is a community as well and without that community there's no foundation the community is the ultimate foundation when you're doing spiritual work um you know occultism you know, it's a solitary practice for the most part but you're still existing within a community and you're working within a community in this modern world we've become so isolated from one another most people can't tell you the name of their neighbors right it's true totally and it's an uncomfortable truth it's an uncomfortable truth they don't know the names of their neighbors they 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 look down when they're not looking at their phones they're reaching for their wallet to make their next purchase they're immediately getting in their car if they have a car getting on transport public transport going straight home going right back to sit, sitting in front of that computer screen and arguing with imaginary people on facebook or or instagram or youtube or whatever they have no community and because of that they feel empty they have no relationship with their family all of these things are important when you want to be a spiritual worker you have to know how to work within the community because ultimately you are that community that community defines you so what about what about the enthusiast or someone who is really called to this path but they're living in the middle of like a cornfield in Kansas or you know um sure and it happens it it happens um uh, uh, yes you can you know you could work online and meet people online that way and i do i have a lot of clients that come to me but yeah someone needs to ask themselves if they're seeking initiation what are they seeking it for that's the first question what are they seeking initiation for what is the reason is it to create an identity as many people are trying to do create this identity for themselves to fill in a void in in this sense of persona because they maybe they got allured by by uh spooky books or web pages and that sort of stuff or are they looking for something deeper you don't need an initiation to work with spirits to better your life it helps but it is not necessary i would say for most people too that are in a, such a situation to take a step back and ask why do i want to do this what will i be gaining from it what do i have to offer what will i be able to do with the community around me if i get these gifts i mean there's a part of this that's a business and there's another part where it's something a little bit deeper we're building relationships not just with the spirits but with but with those people around us so if you're living in the middle of nowhere in a cornfield 
and you find you, you really feel like you, you want to do voodoo or Ifa or, or Palo or whatever, take a step back and ask yourself, why? What do you think you, you have not just to gain, but to offer by joining such a community? And I don't want to make anybody feel like that's hearing this. And I don't want to ensure there's going to be someone that's going to hear this and cringe and go, oh, God, I'm being called out. That's not, that's not the point. I don't want to deter anybody from this. I want them to look a little bit deeper in their introspection and figure out for themselves, you know, get really honest. Like, what do I stand to gain? Not only to gain, but what do I have? What will I be able to give in return? Right, right. And, and you're not trying to be a gatekeeper here. And, and gatekeeping might be a good kind of topic to kind of run with. But to expand on that, what about someone who is, you know, yeah, that person in the middle of a cornfield or someone in Norway or someone very far away from culturally, say, the, the Caribbean and the African traditional arts where they're practiced? Is there a possibility for, the, for that person to... Um, connect to voodoo spirits um how does that work if someone is is not geographically or culturally anywhere even in that realm the spirits are both local and non-local they're they're um they exist as software and they're also firmware uh meaning that you might through some strange thing whether through uh an ancestor through your ancestry genetics some people find out that they had uh, uh that they have relatives that maybe came from the congo or maybe they visited another continent as at a young age and had an experience with a spirit that they don't fully remember but they can confirm for a fact that they were there uh, i had a client and he's european and when he was young he was visiting Africa and he encountered the Luai. The Luai has been with him ever since. So there's lots of there's lots of strange scenarios that are uncommon but actually do happen where a person developed, you know, through some circumstance has a valid link to these spirits. And again, like I said, there's an exception to to every every rule. And these people might need initiation in order to have a normal life. Uh, because these spirits have such strong personalities and they're like people. They can decide if they like you and they want you, they want you to be their priest. They want you to serve them and you're not able to answer their call. So they just start making your life really difficult because they're spirits and that's what they do. And it happens. So yes, they might be disconnected geographically or even culturally, from one of these traditions, but that doesn't necessarily exclude them from the traditions so long as their call is genuine. Got it. Cool. Thank you. And so, so what about this topic of gatekeeping? I know it's kind of a hot button issue. Uh, what do you make of it? When is it legit? When is it not legit and damaging? The only gatekeepers of, of these traditions are the elders within the traditions themselves. Generally, when we look, we hear about gatekeeping, we're talking about groups on Facebook and social media where you have people that aren't that are feeling disenfranchised or trying to create an identity for themselves based upon their race or their ethnicity. And they get upset when they see people that they 
you know, people of a different race or ethnicity involving themselves in something they themselves want to be involved in. The reality is the spirits are people, just like people. They can like people, they can accept people, they can deny people as they will. As a priest, I cannot tell a spirit who they should like or who they shouldn't like. But I'm also an outsider. There's no way to change the fact that I'm an outsider. I'm ethnically Puerto Rican. And uh, I'm culturally American. And uh, it's, it's a funny place to be in because I'm not Haitian. But even in Puerto Rico, the Luas are served. People on social media, TikTok, Instagram, that are telling, saying someone cannot enter into one of these religions because of the color of their skin or their ethnicity are full of shit. The spirits decide who's welcome and who is not welcome. You might have difficulty finding a house that accepts you or a society that accepts you uh, because these are all operated by people and people are flawed. People are, are uh, <laughs> imperfect and they have hangups. There's bigotry. This is, there's always been bigotry since the beginning of time. But if it's meant for you and you're sincere with the spirits, they will find that house that will accept you as you are. And you will be able to get what you need from the spirits. So gatekeeping online, just goofy people, people that that like to create drama most of the time. Most of them aren't even really sincere in their gatekeeping. They just like the idea of power because in their lives, they are powerless. Yeah, and here's a, here's a perfect example of how it's very one-dimensional and superficial to think that way too. Where does it stop? Where does it end? For instance, in Haiti, the uh, Martinist tradition and the Elu Kohen were there very early. Martinez de Pasquale, you know, Louis Claude de, de San Martin. Um, these these guys mm-hmm. and the tradition they created took very fertile root in Haiti. Now, this is a European mystical and magical tradition, but then which in turn has roots in both Christian and Jewish Kabbalah, angelic magic and other systems. This was enthusiastically taken up by Haitians who continue to this day to have really powerful, successful lodges. Now, should these Haitians be told, oh, well, that's a European system, so you're not allowed to use it. I mean, you know, and then what should the Europeans using that system be told? Oh, well, because that has roots in uh, Kabbalah, which is Judaic, they shouldn't be using that. So like, where does it end? This is a purely intellectual, superficial attitude. Correct. And it's just a, it's yeah. a, it becomes nothing more than a penis measuring contest. You know, who's got the biggest penis from what angle do you measure from? Do you measure from the base of the shaft or do you measure from the top down? You know. <laughs> But seriously, it's it's a useless conversation, and it's only done to exclude people. Um, And these these convert these these gatekeeping, as I said, is typically 
most widely practiced by people that don't have a legitimate involvement in these traditions. It's an outsider activity primarily. It's like an outsider sport. It's masturbatory. But moving on, um, you did talk about ancestors at the very start of the conversation. And I think that that's a really important point. And I think it's an important entry point for people who may be interested in working with spirits. Uh, So could you speak a little bit on the importance of ancestors and how... Uh, On the ancestors? Yeah, on the ancestors and also how ancestral veneration dovetails with the other point you were making about the community. So everybody has ancestors. That seems like a very obvious remark, but you know, some things I find are not very obvious when you go out there. Um, we all have, we all come from a lineage of peoples that came before us. And I want to just point out that right now is probably the best time to be a human being than just about any other time in the world. People live longer, less disease. Uh, there's a greater wealth in the world. Uh, in general, the, the poorest person today still has more than the poorest person 100 years ago. And the reason why that is, is because of what our ancestors did for us. They laid the foundation over countless generations to give us the world that we have today. Venerating the ancestors is merely showing them appreciation and admiration for what they've done for us, for the sacrifices they've made. It's extremely important to first, one, reconcile that relationship in this world. Uh, right now, we live in a time in, uh, where a lot of people are willfully disconnected from their families. They're trying to create new identities for themselves. And, you know, it's, it's a time where people uh, are able to look at their traumas, unlike any other time in existence beforehand. hundred years ago, you couldn't sit there and think about the traumas that you suffered as a child because you were too busy trying to ebb out a living for yourself, right? And now we have all this time. We have the comfort. We have the luxury of sitting there and going through and saying, well, that wasn't fair what happened to me. Somebody hurt me. So I'm going to walk around with this chip on my shoulder because I've been hurt. And my family doesn't want to understand the complexity of who I am because I have too much time to think about who I think I am. So because of that, there's this big disconnect in, in, in something that should be just completely fundamental for most people. We are the product of countless generations of people living, suffering, reproducing, suffering some more, and dying. When we go to our ancestors, we're going there with a solemn and pious heart, recognizing their suffering, offering them light and water, or other things, prayer, song, whatever, whatever way is culturally appropriate to acknowledge those that came before us and to thank them for their sacrifices. Your ancestors, they are your gatekeepers. They are the ones that are your first touchstone in the spiritual realm. They are your first line of defense. And they are also those that allow spirits to come to you and influence you. And they are also the source of our spiritual gifts and powers. Working with them 
opens doors that may not have been previously available to you. And it's very important to acknowledge them and to try and accept them with an open heart. And your ancestors are people like other spirits. Some may like you, some may not. Some may be good, some might be angry, but you're the one that's living and having the experience. Your job in venerating your ancestors isn't solely so that you can benefit from it. It's also so that you can allow them to heal, let them express themselves and enjoy the accomplishments that you, their living descendant, are having and experiencing. Cool. So what are what are some practical first steps for people who kind of want to start start doing that, uh, venerating ancestors, working with ancestors? The very first thing that someone can do is create a small, simple space for them. It doesn't need to be elaborate. Uh, the bedroom isn't the best place because we do things in our bedroom that we wouldn't want to do in front of our grandmother. So finding a little space in your home uh, and creating a small table for them. It doesn't need to be big or elaborate. You don't need to put up pictures there. And on that table, you put uh, a cross to symbolize affliction, a glass of water, and a seashell for those ancestors that are unknown to you. And there you can light white candles for them, offer white flowers to them, give them things that are light and beneficial, offer prayers. On my blog, I have a rite that can be done weekly to salute them and honor them so that you can keep the doors open between you and them. It's not difficult. There really is no right or wrong way. There are cultural differences that you might want to acknowledge if you come from a Chinese Buddhist background. It might behoove you to learn how to venerate your ancestors according to those cultural traditions. If you don't know how your culture remembers your ancestors, then by all means, go to my blog, voodoosorcerer.blogspot.com and read my, my posts on ancestral veneration. It is very easy. It's largely intuitive. And it's as simple as offering light and water to your ancestors that you know and that you don't know, and to ask them to grant you uh, grace and elevate you as you elevate them, and to treat them with love, honor, and respect. Great advice. Thank you. And as far as like the crucifix goes and the Christian element, um, there's a good chance your ancestors were Christians, so it's not necessarily, it's not about you, it's about them. Um, if you don't feel comfortable with Christian prayers, I mean, they certainly were, most likely. So um, I think people avoiding the Christian aspect um, may be missing an important element. Yes, in that's my correct. opinion. Yeah. No, you're absolutely correct. It's about them and doing things that they identify with. I mean, all the way up until fairly recently, I, we can say for at least the past, what, 1,500 years, the most most people were, in fact, Christian, um, especially if they were of European descent. Uh, you know, again, if you know you're, you come from a long lineage of Chinese Buddhist, you know, Buddhist, 
then your family was Buddhist and you'd want to have appropriate symbols. But for most of sure. us that are going to be listening to this show are going to be coming from a European background. Uh, they had a lot of uh, Christians in there, Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, some Protestants. So those symbols are very important. And not only that, but the symbol of Christ on the cross is more than just the idea of a Christian symbol. It's a symbol of affliction, a symbol of suffering, because we are all suffering. And it is a reminder of that suffering. It is that a reminder that death is not the end of us, that we still exist, that we have life after death. And it's very important to have appropriate symbols on your altar and not something haphazardly put together. Now, sometimes people, I, I've seen this question a lot over the years, and um, I'm, I have my own answers for it for people, but you know, sometimes people will say, well, what if I had an abusive family member? Or what if some of my ancestors I know were evil people? How do you respond to the people who make that point? Well, the first, the first point is, is that death changes our perspective on things. <laughs> it, it changes people's perspectives pretty quickly. And uh, it's okay if you don't like certain relatives or you had a strained relationship with them. You can choose to exclude them from your ancestral practices. You can choose to do that. And that's perfectly fine. Um, from my point of view, ancestral veneration should be about healing, healing those relationships that you have with those people, healing them from their trauma. You know, trauma is this funny thing, and we know uh, that it gets passed down. <laughs> Whether, whether through just abusers becoming abusers, the, the abused becoming abusers themselves, um, or the effects that it has on our DNA. And we tend to, to repeat these things generation after generation. How do you break the cycle? You can either cut off a limb that, that uh, is problematic, or you can do the physical therapy that's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. You're not going to like doing it but you'll have full use of that damaged limb after you're done. So it's an individual choice. Would you like to grow as a person? Would you like to strengthen those relationships or have the relationship with that person that you couldn't have in life? You can now have it with them on your terms. What would you prefer? I would like to think that some people would want to heal and and know that they are healing that trauma, not only with themselves, but, with the, but also acknowledging the trauma that that family member probably went through that they didn't know how to deal with. And they were just repeating what they learned unconsciously. It's about healing. Are you a healer or are you a, are you a field surgeon that's just going to cut off that limb because it's not looking very good? Yeah. And from the Catholic perspective, I know that uh, praying the rosary for those in purgatory or those who are having difficulties is, it just is a very beautiful practice. And I think very worthwhile and can be very successful. Yes. It's, it requires patience. It requires, you know, a steadfast heart and soul. Um, it, 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 it's, I think that we learn more when we ask ourselves to do things that make us uncomfortable. Only by becoming uncomfortable do you open yourself up to new experiences. 
If we stay in our comfort zones, what's the comfort zone nowadays? Sitting there on your phone, on your couch with the TV going, music also playing, someone else sitting in the room, but you're not even, you may as well be sitting there alone because you're in your comfort zone. You're in your little bubble, just mindlessly scrolling through Facebook. Getting outside your comfort zone means turning off, putting down the phone, turning off the TV and having a real conversation with that person and trying to build a relationship. It's the same thing with these spirits. They are like people. I cannot emphasize that enough. They're like people and they're always going to be there. So even if you don't want to acknowledge them when you're doing your practices, guess what? They're still sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting for you to acknowledge them. I was just going to say, you can also include um, deceased pets on your ancestor altar too. You can. I know people that do it. Um, I have a separate space for my deceased pets. Uh, it was the past few couple of years were painful. I lost um, a few animals, but I have a separate altar for them where I still give them light and we put toys. My wife and I put toys on that altar that we know that those uh, animals would have liked. And uh, my wife, she still talks to her cats every day. I have a picture of of my cat that I had for seven years. He's like right on my nightstand, basically. Um, you can definitely have that. I do recommend having a separate space for uh, animal spirits and pet spirits because they, uh, those relationships are just as valid and important with, as the relationships that we have with living people. Yeah, thank you for that because um, it's a big thing. And our animal family is family and they help us grow. And we also help their souls grow. And it's also pretty ancient. I mean, there are burial mounds, graves from China to Europe to Africa, where you find animals with the human beings. Yep. Bury me with my cats. Only if they've passed away already. Don't bury my (laughs) live cats with me. That would be horrible. But yes, I I love I love my animals. I love them. You know, they're, they're, they're like the children that I, that I can't have. So um, they're very important to me. And, you know, and I swear, you know, they understand our emotions and um, they're also spiritually sensitive as well. Uh, it's funny. I, I, I can be doing, if I'm doing magic and I go inside that, the house, I can't get my cats off of me. My dog is always curious to try and come into the temple and he's managed to squeak through the door a couple of times and he's just fascinated when he comes in here. So yes, they're, they're, they are important allies for a lot of us. And um, we, we, it's good to honor them. It's good to keep their, that energy around and to have familiarity with them. Now in voodoo, there is a whole family of spirits associated with the world of the dead you muted yourself oh, motherfucker. Uh, yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i i got the i got the question though there's there's a there's a family of spirits that are associated with the dead and we call them the gede um and the gede are literally means dead they are there's there's different types of dead that are around us and these dead are all going are in different states or going through different processes and um, I want to say this because we have our ancestors that are dead that we are seeking to enlighten, that we know, that we have familiarity with, that are family to us. And then there are, and there are Gide, 
Ngere are, are the general dead. Many of them are people that are forgotten. They're much like what the Catholics consider to be the souls in purgatory. They are the ones that are sitting there right on the other side watching, desperate for attention. Some of them, they, some of them can be very desperate for attention, eager to please, acting like ghosts. Some of them are very informative and helpful. Some of them are troublesome. Uh, some of them are playful. Some of them are, are mean. Uh, some of them are angry. Some of them are happy. Some of them are sad. They are as varied as the people that you might encounter around the world. And those are the Gere. And uh, we just had their festival, Fet Gere, where we put out food and acknowledge them. And we acknowledge the way that they are in our lives. And we um, show our respect to them uh, by giving them food. Uh, we, we sing songs for them. We play music for them. Uh, we we make we do gestures for them. We you know, give them liquor, that sort of stuff, and we allow them to manifest so that we can get their blessings. So we can placate them, especially the unhappy ones. We want to placate them, and they may not ever become joyful, but at least they won't uh, create animosity and adversity in our lives. Uh, it's very, the dead are always around us. There's never a moment where there's not a gete around you. Some of them are quiet and most of them are peaceful and keep to themselves, but they're always watching you. They know all the dirt. They've been, and they all talk to one another too. So they tell your secrets sometimes or they, or they can create little problems for you or they can bring you little blessings. The dead are very, very important and they deserve our constant respect. Respect, that is the important word. When we say the word respect, it means that we acknowledge that they are people. They have ambitions. They have schemes just like us. They have likes and dislikes. And showing respect is acknowledging that they are individuals, not just this lumped together. Oh, well, they're all dead. They're all the same. They're just dead people. Showing respect is acknowledge acknowledging them as individuals and acknowledging the influence that they have in our lives. Very valuable advice. Um, what would you say about working with the newly dead? Because there is definitely a transition period. Um, I want to say in Buddhism, it's 49 days. Uh, you could say in Christianity, if you're looking at Jesus, he ascended after 40 days or 43. Yeah. Um, so what, what about the newly dead? I recommend that you leave the newly dead alone. <clears throat> At least for at least for a few months, you know, 40, 49 days. Uh, some traditions say uh, nine weeks. Uh, they all it's it all tends to to be around this, a similar time frame, which is about three to four months. You want to generally leave them alone. Um, I I let the dead that want to work present themselves to me. I don't generally go seeking out. Um, seeking out spirits that may or may not be interested in me. Uh, many of them are going through a transition. I don't necessarily know what that spirit is dealing with. It may not want to be bothered because it feels as sorting out things that are not relevant to what I'm doing. Meanwhile, there are an infinite number of dead people that are lacking something or they're having problems making that transition into the next state. And they need the, they need the grace for the juju that they acquire from, from coming and helping me and the rewards that they get and the acknowledgements that they get. 
the prayers that they can receive that can help them to move on to the next state. So to answer your question, I say, I don't really work with the newly dead. I let the dead come to me. Mm. I actually had a, when I, my first fet get, second fet getting, I uh, did my celebrations. I left some food for the spirits and I laid down and went to sleep in my temple. And I immediately had a dream. Almost as soon as I closed my eyes, I had a dream. And in that dream, I saw a man that I knew in life when I was about 18 years old working in a store. And he was this very strange uh, guy. (laughs) And in my dream, he showed up and he presented himself to me. And he was with the spirit that we call the Baron, who is essentially the Lord of the dead in voodoo. And he told me that he was ready to work with me. And he was so excited to work work with me. And um, this guy during life, he was solitary, lonely didn't have any friends or family when he died. The only person that was at his funeral was my employer at the time because I met him through my work. He was a sad, lonely little man. And he really didn't have any funerary rites performed for him other than just being cremated and put into a mausoleum for uh, people with less money. So he's been sitting there lonely, waiting, not able to do anything. And as soon as, as soon as he realized I was ready, he came to me and said he wanted to work with me and it had the blessing of the Baron. So do I work with the newly dead? I can. Do I reach out to them? Generally not. I leave them alone. I figure when they're ready, they'll come to me. And you alluded to this a minute ago, um, elevating the, the dead by, having them assist you in in your life is there anything inappropriate as far as what what will not elevate the dead as far as um when they're working with you or when you're working with them i mean that's kind of a tough one because i really don't it's hard to say if we know all the rules yeah and people have an answer for everything yeah but uh i i try to avoid doing bad things Mm -hmm. when possible. Sometimes you have to do bad things to create justice Mm -hmm. because the world is a wicked place and there are wicked people in there that are ready to do wicked things for any reason whatsoever. So I try not to add to the wickedness of the world because I don't think that anything is ever elevated by doing a wicked thing. However, going to them and asking them to bring me good luck to help me on a, you know, to help me when I go to meet people and give me a little bit of, uh, give me a little bit of glamour so that people are nicer to me, make people sweeter to me, bring me clients that I can help whose lives I can improve. You know, that's, that's the, those are the things that I imagine elevate them. It's the things that they want to do. Are there dead people that do wicked things? Of course, because they're just the next stage of what a living person wants. But if they want to do wicked things, let them do wicked things. But I don't try to, uh, I don't, I, I don't go looking for evil because I think that evil, not that, not that you have, you, sometimes you have to do bad things, but doing unnecessary evil brings down everybody. And there's, there's so many people that want to flex. They're all out there to show how powerful they are. They want to show everybody how powerful they are because they've been a nobody their whole lives. And now they've got a little bit of power 
and they go out and start acting like a bull and cursing people left and right for the for just the smallest slight on social media. Mm-hmm. That guy gave it, put an angry react on my post. He ha ha a post that was a serious post. I'm going to go light some black candles in the cemetery for him. That's not how we elevate the dead. That's not even being a decent human being. That's being a very small and weak person. <laughs> it's the truth. So in terms of the Gede, who are the who are the heads of that family? You, I think that probably the most famous spirit that a lot of people like to talk about is Babon Samdi. But there's others too, and being an, a professional with specialized expertise, what's your perspective on them? Well, I look at all of these spirits as as other nations, just like in the in the the physical world. Every nation has their own government. Every nation has their own military, police, that sort of stuff. And you find, even though there may be cultural differences, there are a lot of parallels that that uh, make up these different nations. In Haitian voodoo, the lua that presides over the dead is the Baron Samdi, which means the Baron of Saturday. And his wife, uh, Maman Brigitte, or Mrs. Brigitte, she, uh, those two are the ones that are uh, basically the bosses of the dead and give purpose to those dead that need purpose uh, on a practical level in, in, and in the beliefs of Haitian voodoo, the first man buried in a cemetery becomes the Baon of that cemetery. He becomes the Baon Samdi of that cemetery. And the first woman buried in a cemetery becomes the, the Maman Brigitte. And this is important because uh, where is the first cemetery? Who was the first man that died? Who was the first woman that died? So we can trace this all the way back. And the Bawang and the Brigitte are like uh, universal principles. There is always a man that died and a woman that died. And they become the ones that greet us when we die. Now, in different cultures, there are different figureheads. Sometimes that, that figure is a male. Sometimes it is a woman. Sometimes it is a couple. But just about every single religion, um, culture, uh, whether they, they have a spirit that presides at death, and generally they, that spirit was once a living person. And we have uh, uh, in, in, in Mexico and Central America, they have La Santa Sima Muerte, uh, who works like the Baron. Uh, we have uh, we go into Greek philosophy, uh, Greek uh, mythology. We have uh, Hades and Persephone, um, and you just find that in all these different traditions that these things exist. So they're more like universal principles than um, than uh, just something confined to a single belief. And it's just that you know the the Baron seems so uh, alluring because he seems so much like us. You know, he's there, he's dressed in fine clothes, a tuxedo and a top hat, and he's a smooth talker, smoking cigars, drinking rum, uh, and he's also at the same time very serious because death is a very serious matter. But it seems relatable, and it also looks very colorful when we see depictions of the Baron 
and and every man is like, yeah, he's this. He look at how refined he is in his tuxedo. He was probably really suave, so men want to be him. He's got all this power. He's got the power of the underworld, you know. And at the same time, he seems like he is a very uh, approachable. So, you know, it's a little bit of a little bit of uh, fetishism occurring there with uh, the Baron and Bridget in Haitian voodoo. But I, at the same time, it's something highly relatable. So I understand the skeleton, the skeleton man in the tuxedo that's going to greet you when you die. <laughs> well, and if you think about it too, even that is very universal. I mean, look at the, whether we're talking about Bawon or we're talking about uh, Santa Muerte, the, the hooded pictorial representation of death, every culture represents the the has a lord and or lady or both of the underworld yes and one thing to remember with these depictions throughout all of history these figures were commonly depicted in the in the dress of the time like they were always presented in a culturally relevant way so if a new one would if a new uh, spirit of the dead were to arise out of this culture, he'd look, be look and dress just like us, but have little things to let us know that he's dead. Unfortunately, in this our culture and here in America, there's there's uh, there's like a fear and an isolation of death. Very few people even want to witness death anymore. You know, people end up dying alone in hospice. You know, when someone's dog is dying, rarely do people even go in there and, and hold their dog while their dog's being put down. There's such a fear of death. And the Baron is there to assure us that death is not the end and that it's a party <laughs> when we get to the other side. I think that's also the fascination with the dancing pallbearers uh, in the in viral videos. You know, the idea that that death isn't something that we mourn, that death is something we celebrate. Yeah, it reminds me of that Nick Cave song, Death is Not the End. Yes, yes. It's just the next step. It's a transition, and we should be joyous. Because you're now, once you die, you're free from bills, right? <laughs> no more bills to pay. No I can't more. think of anything better. I don't have to pay taxes anymore. Wait, oh, oh, actually, I do have to pay taxes. If I die, there's still some taxes that need to be paid. But after that, I'm done, <laughs> or, not, or at least I'm not the one paying them, right? <laughs> no more damn laundry. Yeah, there you go. No more laundry. Well, I don't have to scoop litter boxes anymore for my cats. I'm free of that. <laughs> so, but yeah, we're free of all of these afflictions. And that's why we should be celebrating death. There's no more suffering. You're free of it. Some people say, like, when it, you know, I've I've seen people be critical, like, why are you putting food on an altar for the dead? Why are you putting drinks there? Spirit, the, they can't really eat, they can't really drink. It's all just, it's all just idolatry. Obviously, that's not my position, but obviously, what would you say to somebody like that? Well, <clears throat> as I've been, I've stated multiple times spirits are like people they want to be treated like people they want to enjoy the things that they enjoyed in their during their life um many people that start in these practices start you know with my clients that start into these practices um they generally call me after a few weeks and they go oh my god rocky i have to tell you something 
what's going on? Well, I put a glass of liquor out for the spirit last night and I came back and it's gone. The liquor's empty. There's nothing in the glass. Or I gave them a cup of coffee and it looks and I left the room for a minute and I came back and it looks like somebody picked up the cup and took a drink from it. There's stains on the cup and I can see a lip mark. How did that happen? <laughs> and the, the, the spirits, they enjoy food. They just enjoy it in ways that are typically different than the way that we do. Now, in voodoo, we deal with possession. And the spirit gets to possess the person and enjoy and taste that food and eat it and drink that liquor. But when you put it out on your altar, you're giving them energy. You're saying here, and they, they'll evaporate the liquor or they'll, they'll suck the, uh, the moisture out of the food and it becomes like it feels lighter, like, there's, like it's been dehydrated. And sometimes it stays pristine, even if it's left there for days. Bugs won't get into it. Something is happening. I don't really know what. I'm not going to pretend to know how they do it, but I know that they do enjoy it. And going back to the idea of respect, treating spirits like people earns their respect. And that's something that a lot of Western magicians could learn from is to Stop fetishizing spirits and turning them into these abstract beings that are all powerful and godlike, and just stop and talk to them like they're people and treat them like a person, treat them with hospitality. Now that's, a, that's something that's lost on a lot of Americans hospitality. Most of them don't even understand what that word means. Hospitality is offering your guests something to drink. It's offering them food when you eat. It's, it's that cup of coffee when someone has been traveling a long way and you know they're tired and you say, hey, have a seat. Let me make you an espresso. That's what we're doing when we say serve the spirits. We are showing them hospitality. We are acknowledging their humanity. Although they're a different kind of human now, we're still acknowledging that they are people and treating them as such. The power doesn't come from an offering. The power comes from that consistent relationship, that respect that you show them, the way that you treat them and acknowledge them. That's where the power comes from. And there is no fast track to it. And also just think about this, like, doesn't everybody want to be treated like they're a human being. Isn't it nice when somebody stops and just acknowledges that you're a human being, you're not just a customer, you're not just, you're not just an employee, or you're not just a person, you know, on the bus or walking down the street, but so the, the perception of humanity, of, of the validity of that, of that conscious being on the other side of the table from you. I mean, that's really a very precious thing. And that's, you know, there was the, um, the Dave Chappelle special that was apparently very controversial that I thought was hilarious and I enjoyed quite a bit where Dave was recalling a trans friend of his and he said to her, I just don't get it. And she replied, I'm not asking you to get it. I'm asking you to recognize that I'm a human being just like you and I'm going through it. 
And that's what's lacking. We've, you know, we've become so desensitized with one another because we're talking to people through screens with our thumbs all the time uh, <clears throat> that we forget that the other person whose little avatar or profile picture that we see is an actual human being that has thoughts, feelings, fears, joys, traumas, experiences. I mean, I'm guilty of it too sometimes because I get impatient. I'm just in a bad mood and I decided to get on social media and then somebody caught the ire of my wrath and I trolled somebody. I'm guilty. We're all imperfect. But it's important to remember that we're dealing with other human beings. And when you start to recognize the humanity of other people around you, it gets easier to recognize the humanity of the spirits that are around you. And when you can recognize and acknowledge their personhood, that's when you start having a real relationship with them. And that's when they start going, well, you know, I kind of like this guy. I'm going to give him a little bit of juju, teach him a little, a little bit of magic, grant him a little bit of power or influence. Oh, he really wants that job. I'll get that job for him. That's how it works. It starts by being a decent person and not arrogant and uh, remembering, hey, we're all in it together. We don't have to like each other, but it, the best thing we can do is at least acknowledge, hey, you know what? Life sucks. You're in it and I'm in it. So what about this, Rocky? Um, as far as working with ancestors, but also working with with other kind of spirits, um, I mean, there's definitely this idea of serving serving spirits, but um, I think that there's also a danger that we might want to talk about of uh, not becoming slaves to them. So what, what, what can you say mm. about that topic? The fine line between am I, am I simply serving the spirit or am I a servant to right. that spirit? <clears throat> it's kind of a tricky thing. Serving, when we say serve the spirit, or at least the way I use it, I'm speaking in terms of general hospitality and respect. Uh, I treat them like welcome and honored guests in my home and in my space. And that doesn't mean I'm doing grand gestures all the time. Sometimes that acknowledging that kind of respect is simply saying, Hey, spirit, how's your day going today? My day was kind of rough. And I sit there and talk with them about it. And if they want to talk, I sit and listen. It's a, it's a, it's the difference between acknowledging another spirit, another being, or getting on your knees and groveling before them and doing acts out of fear. A common thing that I hear is, I can't miss serving the spirit today because then they're going to be mad at me. I mean, would you want to be in a relationship with someone that if you're having an off day, you're going to get all of their wrath? Would you want to work with a boss that was that unreasonable or a coworker that was that unreasonable personally not me i treat them the best that i can to the best of my abilities but at the same time i'm the one having the living human experience and my human experience generally comes first does that mean does that mean i forget my promises when i make a promise no I always keep track of my promises. Does that mean that I'm always bending over backwards or jumping when they ask for something? No. 
It depends. I have a couple of spirits that I do. I do do things a little bit quicker for because I have a strong relationship for them and I just have such strong feelings for them and I want to please them. But I also know that if I'm not able to do something right away, that they're not going to be mad at me. That they're not going to sit there and go, we're not working with you anymore. You forgot to give us an offering last week. So we're not working for you until you make that right. So we want double the offering. If I was treated like that, to be perfectly honest, I would move on to the next spirit, to someone that's more reasonable. So how do people end up in these upside down relationships? Well, either the fault is in no teacher or a bad teacher. And by a bad teacher, it may not necessarily be a person. It could be Google is their teacher. And there's a lot of fear-mongering around spirit work and spirit spirit relationships that are created by people that don't have uh, their that don't have uh, their best intentions in mind towards the readers. In fact, some of them are deliberately putting out misinformation uh, because it amuses them. So it's you have to be very careful. Uh, uh, someone has to be very careful where they get their information from in the first place. It's honestly best to sit there and go all the way back to the beginning of this podcast and talk about where that good teacher is. How do you find that good teacher? What are your goals? What are you trying to do before getting involved in working with spirits? So how do you not be a slave to the spirit? How do you not be a slave to the spirit? Well, how do you not be a slave to your employer? Right or a slave to a coworker. You don't give them power over you. You maintain your sovereignty in a respectful fashion. And also, I think it's worth mentioning that all relationships, all of them, even the relationships with our closest people in our life, they're always transactional. Yep. There's always an exchange on some level. Even if that exchange is love and emotion, you know, even if that exchange is just the happy feeling that you get when you do something for that person, that is still a transaction taking place. And that's important to remember. So when somebody says, oh, I do it all for love, or they start saying, oh, you treat your spirits like that. Well, I love my spirits. You know, this is a funny thing that's come up a few, a couple of times recently. Uh, spiritual people claiming to be spiritual workers that tell their clients that dictate uh, whether somebody else loves their spirits or not based upon their idea of what they think that relationship is like. I run a business. I do a lot of transactions with my spirits. I, Because it's a business, I want my spirits to be the spirits that run that business to be business-like. Therefore, I, run my, I have very business-like transactions when I make promises to them. When I say, hey, this needs to happen for so-and-so. You do this for so-and-so, I'm going to get this for you. It's important that I have that relationship with them because that way they take the, the work that needs to be done in a serious fashion. But that isn't the end of my relationship with them. It goes further because I have certain spirits that I have very, very deep feelings for that I, for all intensive purposes, consider them to be my friends. Not all of my spirits, not every spirit is like that, but I have a few that I consider to be friendly with, almost like friends that are almost like family. So, you know, uh, going back to that, is this someone I should learn from? If, some, if you go to somebody and they're telling you that you don't love your spirits enough, 
That's a, that's a red flag right there. That's like someone saying you don't love your family enough. What would you think if someone came to you and said, well, the reason why you have a problem with your, with your, in the relationship with your mother is that you simply don't love them enough. What would you think? Would you take that person seriously? This is, um, you know, you can feel free to answer or I can just consider it a rhetorical question. But um, personally, I wouldn't because nobody knows how I think or feel. Only I do. Maybe some close friends might have a clue. But overall, only I know how I think and feel. And only I know uh, how much I love something or don't love something. And, only, and, and the way I express that love is going to be unique to me, just as the way it is when you express your love, it's going to be unique for you. Right, right. Thanks. Thankfully, I have not, I have not seen that come up, but that, uh, that's pretty ridiculous. It is pretty ridiculous. And it's, it's, I've, I've heard it more than once in the past couple of weeks. So I just wanted to point that out there. And maybe the person that's going around saying that might actually hear, listen to this podcast with it. And while they're sitting there seething and going, <laughs> Oh, it's Rocky again. I can't stand Rocky. <laughs> I hope they're sitting there grinding their teeth. And then I know I'm doing my job right. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun to see people get angry over, especially when they get angry over me, because it just shows they don't know the first thing about me. <laughs> I mean, when, when there's someone I don't like personally, you know, because there's going to be people that are like, oh, Rocky doesn't like people. He's, he says rude things. It's like, no. I, I more make jokes about them, but I don't take them very seriously. There's not a single person that I've ever lost sleep over. Going, oh, I hate them so much. And it's just a friendly thing. If you're losing sleep over somebody, you need to take a step back in your life, maybe go on vacation, maybe find things that are actually important than people on the internet that make you mad. <laughs> <laughs> going going back for a second, but but also building on what we were talking about as far as serving spirits, being slaves to spirits. Uh, I was wondering if you could talk about appropriate offerings, specifically offerings for, maybe we could start with offerings for your ancestors, what's appropriate, but also I'd like for you to touch on this kind of obsession in Western occultism with uh, blood, giving offering blood to spirits <laughs> and why that may not sure. be an awesome idea. Sure, absolutely. <clears throat> so, appropriate offerings when you're dealing with your ancestors we want to use we want to use things that are the color white white flowers sweet things like frankincense pure frankincense quality frankincense if you can if you can't afford it you you offer what you can afford um light white candles water cool water don't don't go giving hot water but give them cool water um a little bit of food every now and again. Uh, I try to avoid things that might be considered offensive. So I tend to give them simple foods or foods that I knew that they liked. A uh, little bit of liquor is fine. Coffee. A lot of spirits like coffee, especially if you're someone that has issues with alcohol. Coffee is a great offering that you can give to the spirits. You can even give them uh, like a sodas, like the Mexican colas and things like that. They tend to not be made from just straight chemicals and tend to have actual syrups uh, within them that come from plants. So things like that are very appropriate. Tobacco is, is a excellent, excellent herb that you can give to them that you can burn for them because it aids them in manifesting. I love to burn tobacco 
uh, light a cigar when I talk to them or even sometimes a cigarette and just sit there and puff on a cigar and talk with them. I do that. Um, I do it almost to the point where it's, uh, I have to be careful of it not becoming an unhealthy habit. <clears throat> uh, and that's really what's appropriate. And you don't have to give all these things at once. I do recommend keeping fresh white flowers on their altar. But as far as giving food and things like that, these things don't need to be given with great frequency. The things that should need to always be there, um, fresh, clean water, and maybe some fresh flowers. Anything else, they're kind of like little extras that you do every now and again. Give them a little cup of coffee, maybe once a week. Maybe if you had a if you had an ancestor that really liked a certain brand of beer, you can give them that beer every now and again. And all of those things are appropriate and good. Because again, they derive energy from those offerings. And they get the juju that's within those offerings after you present it. And they and they thrive on it and it helps them to elevate. Prayer is also an offering that shouldn't be neglected. Prayer is very important. Prayer is soothing, not just for your soul when you pray, but also for their souls. Going on to blood. Oh, there's so much. It's so powerful. You have to give spirits there. You have to give them blood if you want to get results. I've heard this come from, you know, a lot of priests that say that if they don't have blood, they're not alive. Well, I'm going to give another opinion on that. Blood is indeed powerful, sometimes almost too powerful, especially when an inexperienced person gives blood. Uh, giving blood is generally not something that's taken lightly in many traditions. It's done in serious matters, pretty, fairly, pretty much exclusively. And there's a reason for this. Let's say you have a dog, okay? And let's say, like I have, I have chickens. So. Let's say I slaughter a chicken and I decide I'm going to give it to my dog to eat. I've skinned it. I've cleaned it. But I left all the blood in there and I gave it the, the meat raw and bloody. I gave it to my dog and he feasts on it. He loves it. He's eating it like he's never eaten anything before. And then within a week, my dog goes out and kills all my chickens rather viciously and devours them. And he loves eating them. Why is he doing that? Because he's tasted the blood and his temperament's never going to be the same to those animals, maybe even other animals as well, because the dog can smell the blood in them and is going to do anything he can to get to them. The same is true with spirits. Once you give them blood, their temperament is going to be different towards you. If you're initiated and you're a priest and you're trained in how to offer blood to spirits, that's that's a different issue. But if you're not initiated and you don't know what you're doing, doesn't you're going to find that that blood makes the spirit very unmanageable. Worse are those magicians that give their own blood to the spirits. Right. I was going to go there next. Yes. There couldn't be anything more foolish than that. Just like how the, how, uh, how a dog can smell the blood inside an animal, so can the spirits know the blood that's inside of you. You're basically turning yourself into an offering by giving them blood. And they become parasitic because they begin to crave your blood. And they'll find ways to get you to spill your blood 
And I've seen it happen where people that were giving blood to their spirits, they start uh, cutting themselves or injuring themselves and causing themselves to bleed, or they start having diseases occur, disorders in their bodies that they've never had before because the spirits are beginning to feed on them. It's a very, very dangerous thing. Worse, or I should say equally as bad, are one's own sexual fluids. So, Dom, I'm gonna, I want to hire you to do a job for me. Uh, I need you to help me uh, re, uh, re-shingle the roof on this guy's house. And I'm going to pay you as soon as the job is done. And uh, you come to me for payment after finishing the job. And I just go in there and I drop my pants and I decide to give you... <laughs> I try to decide to give you some of my juices. How would you feel about that? It sounds like it sounds like a job for Janice, not me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm sure there might be the I'm sure there might be the, the, the person that's out there that might go, well, okay, that's not such a bad deal. Um, but <laughs> but they're gonna be like a, they're gonna be an odd one. They're gonna be an outlier from the majority of people. They're not that are not gonna be very happy the moment you start doing that. It's the same thing with the spirits. They are not interested in your bodily fluids, any of them. <laughs> there might be an odd one every now and again that might go, cool, I can do something with this. But the majority of them are going to be looking at you like you're crazy. So your blood, your bodily fluids, leave it alone. The closest thing we get to offering bodily fluids is the saliva that's in our mouth when we blow liquor on the spirits. And the saliva in your mouth is very important because your mouth is has all the powers of creation within it. When we speak, we create realities, right? We create these realities with our words and with our breath. So when we blow liquor on the spirits, we are creating life. We're giving power when we do that. And that's the only, that's really the only bodily fluid in the way it's used. That's very interesting because that's the same. That's the same thought theory uh, in ancient Egypt as well. Um, the spit was identical to what you just described as far as being an act of creation. So very interesting. We give life, we give life through our saliva to that which does not have life. And I'm pretty sure there's a couple of instances in the Bible. It is so bad because I was raised Catholic, and I've and Scripture just eludes me now. But yeah. The spit is your saliva is very very powerful. So inevitably, if you're if you're floating around in this world of either Western esotericism or uh, African traditional religion, um, spiritual attacks. Um, I'm sure you have a little bit of experience with this. What what can people do to to deal with this kind of this kind of thing? Whether it's from spirits themselves or from spirits that are sent uh, through, through people, through people or by people or by people. Yes. Or from Facebook. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, the first line of the first line of protection is creating uh, protection for your home. You can do this by uh, planting thing with intention. Planting things like aloe vera, uh, in keeping aloe vera in your home, um, so you can hang a horseshoe above your door. Uh, some traditions, including us, uh, putting uh, a knife behind the headboard or underneath the bed to ward off 
um, unwelcome spirits. Uh, another means of defense is just good hygiene, keeping your home clean, keeping yourself clean. The cleaner you are, the harder it is for things to stick to you. And um, it's very, the, those that lack spiritual hygiene are typically uh, the most prone to spiritual attacks. A clean, organized home doesn't leave anywhere for spirits that are unwelcome to hide because they do hide. They hide in those those dusty corners where you have cobwebs and little little spiders starting to make up make it homes. You know, uh, they are <clears throat> they 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 can they are as real and tangible. Even though you cannot see them, they are real and they are there. Uh, person, if you keep your house clean, you regularly. Um, burn incense throughout your home. You do cleanings of your home, fumigations, sprinkling holy water around. That will generally keep out uh, stray spirits that might come and be prob- problematic for you. It'll also attract, you know, positive spirits. Yes, you need the positive spirits. It takes a spirit to get rid of a spirit. How are you going? To, we we have no way, means of doing it, so we have to have strong allies. So having strong, creating uh, strong uh, relationships with powerful spirits to act as allies for us. Many people like to turn to a spirit like like St. Michael or another spirit like St. George because they are powerful. They are warriors and they will keep away unwanted beings. Another means is prayer. Uh, There are certain psalms that are renowned for not only providing spiritual protection, but also returning attacks to the place where they came from. Again, these are all very important. Uh, beyond all that, being able to divine is also very important, whether it's through tarot cards, shells, playing cards, uh, pendulums, having a, rely- a reliable method of divination is also very, very important. And finally, most importantly, getting those people out of your life that harbor feelings of jealousy and resentment towards you is the very best way to protect yourself from a spiritual attack. Figuring out who those fake friends are, those frenemies, and removing them from your social circle. It can be a very painful process, but keeping those people close to you gives them access to you spiritually. So I'm gonna say it as concisely as possible, beyond all the spiritual hygiene, beyond all the prayers, beyond all the baths, get rid of the fake allies, get rid of the frenemies. If it's going to hurt your social circle, you got to swallow it and just do it because those people that are closest to you that harbor feelings of spite, jealousy, and resentment are the ones that will have the greatest influence in a spiritual attack. It's hard. It's hard, I know, but it is something that is absolutely necessary. If you want to be protected, from from uh, spiritual assaults, get rid of those people around you that are jealous. Get rid of those people that 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 say that sideways remark at you that leaves you wondering, was that an insult? If you even suspect 
that someone isn't a real friend, just cut them out. There are 9 billion people on this world. You can make new friends. Don't keep, if it's a family member, distance yourself from them. Don't keep false friends. That is how, that is the real way to protect yourself. You really don't have to worry about social media, people like getting mad at you online. I don't worry if a person says they're going to curse me online because most of them don't even have the juju to touch me. And it's the same for just about everybody else. The people you need to worry about are the ones that are closest to you because they're the ones that are talking bad about you behind your back, trying to sabotage all of your success. That's how you prevent a spiritual attack. That's very interesting. Uh, it made me think of uh, the the evil eye because uh, you know traditionally the evil eye was such a big deal, but essentially uh, it comes from jealousy. Correct. So, yeah, great point. I was just going to say the thing is, I know I'm like this. I just don't. I don't think that way about people. So I don't. Sometimes I don't see that coming because I don't have this idea of envying other people, jealousy of other people. So it always blindsides me because I tend to think the best of people that I'm close to. But the simple fact is, unfortunately, it's reality. And it sucks to face that fact when you have good intentions as a person. It's, it's, it's as they say, it's big dick energy. <laughs> you can't imagine, you can't imagine that little dick energy when you got a big dick. So, you know, but as you have to remember, there are people, there are people out there that are struggling. They've, you know, God was not kind to them, you know? So you have to remember that and keep it in mind that that person that's with that angry, that angry, twisted heart, they just don't have the same energy that you have. You know, it's easy to forget when you're walking around with a hog like that. Uh, this is a family friendly show, Rookie. Well, <laughs> 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 oh, I, 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 that's probably the first mistake right there, inviting me onto a family friendly show. <laughs> yeah, no, that's why we wanted you on the show. One last question. It's going to be two part. Number one, magic. So when you're doing magic, obviously someone such as yourself is doing magic and it's collaborative. Obviously the spirits that you work with are active participants in your magical work. What is the difference between somebody that works in collaboration with spirits in their magic, their spells, their workings, and a person who is simply doing magic on their own. It's the difference between a person walking and the other one is driving in a car. (laughs) One is far more efficient and the other one is, you might get to your destination, but how long is it going to take you to get there? You know, it's a difference in power. It's The difference between walking into my house and flicking on a light switch or going out into the woods and rubbing two sticks together. Right. And what toll is it going to take if you have to walk, you know, 20 miles as opposed to drive 20 miles? I I mean, that doesn't mean that I don't do works. I haven't done work on my own that hasn't necessarily included my spirits, but it was generally for very small things, you know? Um, And even still, I still suspect if there was a spirit involved, even though I didn't go and say, Hey, you, I need help with this. I'm pretty sure there was a spirit that decided to involve itself because when you do magic, you have light. 
I'm burning incense, you know, I'm doing these things and the spirits enjoy this. So they come and they want to help out in exchange for the light and incense or whatever other things are available to them. So I don't really think there's ever a time where we're truly doing magic that doesn't include spirits. We are simply not conscious of the spirits that are being included. Very well said. Now, the other part of the question I wanted to ask you is, what about using psalms, traditional prayers, things like that? Some people are very opposed to that idea because they say it's religion, yet others say that that is valid within magic. What's your perception and perspective of that? Religion and magic are they're, they're two hands that are washing one another. <laughs> they are inseparable and people try to create these dichotomies between them, but religion is merely institutionalized magic. Um, if you go to a Catholic mass, there's magic taking place when the transubstantiation occurs. If you go to the Buddhist temple during one of their ceremonies, when they're calling upon the spirits that, you know, that are relevant to them, those spirits are showing up and doing magic with them when they're giving blessings. You know, it's, it's the, there, there's their one hand washes the other between religion and magic. They are hopelessly interconnected and there's no way to escape it. And people that have an opposition to that need to take a, I would recommend take a step back, figure out why they have uh, such a strong negative bias towards something being perceptually religious. Very well said. Yeah. Thank you. Now, where can people find you and what services do you offer? Sure. Um, my website is voodoosorcerer.com, V-O-D-O-U, uh, sorcerer, S-O-R-C-E-R-E-R.com. Uh, there I offer uh, spiritual court readings. Yes, I was the one that came up with that word, by the way. Just go Google it. Um, I offer spiritual court readings where I can uh, determine what spirits are around you, who your head spirit is. And um, as well as help you find your spiritual path, I do spiritual healing. I have worked with people that have had strange illnesses uh, of various sorts. Um, I can, I've done everything from love spells to court cases to uh, very unusual stuff. I encourage people if they think they have a problem that can be resolved spiritually to come talk to me. Um, you know, uh, I do consultations, I help people grow as magicians and I initiate most importantly. And in fact, I've done a lot of initiations this year, make people priests of spirits and also magicians so that not only do they have the spirits, but they know how to do magic. That's what I do. <laughs> Elevate people into their true lives and help discover who they really are with magic. Nice. Nice. So if someone is in Northern Florida, there's a possibility that they can work with you on those initiations potentially if, if it's a good fit. If it's a good fit. And just because someone comes with money, that doesn't mean I'm interested in initiating them. I want, right. I'm always looking for passionate people that are going to be smart enough to be able to serve the spirits and be competent magicians and that are going to fit in. I don't want to, I don't, not interested in people that have, uh, uh, that don't know who they are or have abrasive personalities. <laughs> sure. Sure. And I imagine just personalities that just don't jive. I mean, they yeah. might not be a good fit for you, but they might be a good fit for somebody else. Correct. Correct. And, uh, 
you know, my, my, basically my, uh, my, my door is open. If anyone is curious or wants to send me an email, I don't mind answering a couple of questions. Um, but if they really want my time, you know, they can purchase a consultation. Okay, Rocky. Well, this has been just as much fun as we thought it would be. <laughs> um, thanks so much for coming on. I know you got stuff going on and, uh, yeah, I think that's about yeah. it. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Much appreciated. Thanks for your time and energy and your enthusiasm. It's infectious. And uh, yeah, all the best to you. Thanks, guys. You know, have a great night. Thank you for having me here again. I had a lot of fun. That was Rocky Geis. As many of our listeners know, he was on the show for a prior episode. So if you want more, look through our uh, past episodes and you will find our first interview with him. Uh, We did invite him back on the show because we had a very positive response to his episode. And we had multiple requests for a return visit from him. So we thought, what better time of the year to have him back than this Festival of the Dead. So. With that said, I'm very pleased with the conversation. It was lively, interesting. Rocky is a good public speaker. And if you listen to this and the prior episode, I think that there's a lot to be gleaned, a lot of insights that can be acquired uh, regarding uh, the nature of death and the dead, working with ancestral spirits and the nature of spirits in general, as well as the nature of the spirit realms. Always glad to talk to Rocky. He's a very wise, knowledgeable person, always uh, in the dirt. He's getting his hands dirty. He's doing work. He's not just sitting around uh, with his nose in a book, which there's actually nothing wrong with that as long as you partner it with practical work. But he is a person who engages in both. And a lot of his insights come directly from personal interaction with uh, spirits who assist him in his work and accomplish great things. So I just want to thank him for a great appearance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We had fun last time and we were looking forward to having him back right after we recorded that first episode. So this was, this was fun for us. And I think it's valuable too, that the audience gets to hear from uh, someone, not only who dabbles or someone who's interested or someone who's practicing, with someone who's also initiated formally in a living system. Um, in the Western tradition, we we don't uh, necessarily have that luxury, so um, it is good. We had we had Eric Perdue on um, Rocky, so it is uh, beneficial, I think, to hear from from initiated folks uh, on these subjects. I think the commonality with all of these people is the perspective that. Spirits are actual, discrete, independent, intelligent beings. They are, uh, they're outside of us, even if that's on an inner plane sometimes. These are not projections of our psychology or manifestations of inner, I don't know, demons or whatever from a psychological point of view. These are objective, intelligent, independent personalities with characteristics and likes and dislikes and affinities for other spirits. And there's a whole, there's a whole dynamic and 
when you interact with them directly, no matter what system you work within. And that even applies to more institutionalized religions, such as Buddhism and Christianity, for instance, and Islam. In all of those, in the Abrahamic religions and the Eastern religions, spirits are present in every religious system. And I, I know this isn't the position held by everyone, but one one more well-known perspective is that most religions develop out of an animistic or shamanistic paradigm and eventually become more developed and institutionalized and become more hierarchical. It might benefit people to realize is that order and hierarchy exist in the interior immaterial realm as well as the material realm. And there is a sort of continuity between the different levels of existence and, and, and realms or dimensions or bardos. And, and so the things aren't, things aren't chaotic and, and just do what you will. There is a way that things work and spirits develop compacts and agreements and negotiate certain uh, standardized methods of communication with practitioners and through traditions. And voodoo, that's called reglaman. Reglaman is is basically like regimen. It's it's there's there's a certain order you do things in. There's a certain way you do each step in order, and it changes according to the nation or family of spirits and the specific individual spirit. And this is not something unique to voodoo. It, it exists in, in South Pacific islands, you know, animistic shamanistic practices. It exists in institutionalized uh, spiritual practice and Eastern and Western Christianity. So the, the idea that there is a way to do things is important. And that leads me into the other point I wanted to make, which is that uh, the, we cannot speak for the spirits. There's people in ver variety of different magical, mystical, or religious paradigms that are connected to indigenous ethnic uh, worldviews and tribal orientations and there's a sort of obsession and a purity spiral with people talking about appropriation and i mean appropriation does exist just look at the spirit science people uh who are an embarrassment to everyone but somehow <laughs> they're embarrassing themselves constantly embarrassing everybody else um but if you put them aside generally speaking um you can't really speak for the spirits so you can't say whether you are of African descent or say Northern European descent. Um, it doesn't really matter. There's people out there who say, well, you shouldn't be working with these gods or spirits if you're not from the culture. But what if those spirits themselves want to develop relationships with that person? See, the thing about when you have active dynamic spiritual relationships with the spirit world, you come to realize quickly that our human biases mean nothing to the spirits. They don't they're not interested in these identity politics at all. We have affinities for people in our lives, friends, lovers, uh, even people we who are co-workers. And in the same way in the spiritual realm, we have affinities with different gods, different spirits, angels, all kinds of beings, down to even plants, animals, and maybe even minerals. I mean, it, it goes on. 
and upward too to planets and stars. There's an entire web through the universe of of sympathy and antipathy and affinity. And we have to get past this idea that traditions that are indigenous or archaic and uh, maybe may have a, a certain ethnic character are closed to everybody who is not within that tradition because that's not often the case. They're closed traditions in that you have to be initiated into the tradition in order to appropriately practice it. And I do think that's a far larger issue than whether you're the right skin tone or whether you come from the right cultural enclave. What's more important is the idea that we need to take initiation seriously. You can't, you can't just jump into something and start practicing it if it is a system that requires initiation to appropriately practice it. We can be talking about voodoo here, but on the other hand, we can even talk about holy orders and, and, and sacramental Christianity. You can't confect the Eucharist without the proper consecrations. Right. And you're not, no one is entitled to anything, um, you know. Exactly. Daniel was, was not in, entitled to learn karate from Mr. Miyagi. Uh, Mr. Miyagi was, uh, was gatekeeping his karate, but, you know, he's allowed to do that. Uh, same with some of these traditions. Uh, no one's entitled to any of these traditions. And the, like Rocky said in the episode, the elders are the ones that really um, are steering the direction of the, the tradition, and they have the final, final word, ultimately. Exactly. And that's important. It's important to understand that the spirits may have, they have reasons and they can see things that we can't see. And you also, when you start to factor in the idea of perhaps past incarnations that people may have had or familial associations that they may not be aware of from many generations back, all kinds of, there's so many different influences that can come in that create a sort of karmic trace, you could say, um, that, that may be something that a spirit can easily see or a God or, 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 or some other immaterial being can easily see and maybe the reason that they're present into an external person in the outside world. They may say, oh, well, you're not, you know, you're not of Northern European descent, so you shouldn't be worshiping the Norse gods or you're not from Haiti and you're not, and you're not of African descent, so you shouldn't be practicing voodoo or anything like that. And I think that that is short-sighted and it arrogates to humans, to the human beings um, making these statements. It arrogates a certain um, privilege that they don't have. You don't have the right to say whether someone can enter a tradition or not. And I would say that the people who are native to those traditions um, whether it's an Eastern tradition or Native American tradition or South American shamanism or voodoo or Kimbanda or Northern European shamanism or uh, Southern European cultus deorum or even older like Italian, indigenous Italian witchcraft, things like that. I do think that if it is in your blood and you have inherited something, uh, connecting you to these traditions, it will probably for most people be more vivid than something that they have absolutely no biological connection to because 
the environment shapes our biology and that our biology shapes our neurology. And so, you know, our mind and our body are connected to the environments that our ancestors lived within and in our ancestors developed certain characteristics, strengths, proclivities, antipathies based upon what would enable them to survive in those environments best. And so the spiritual systems are no different. They're adapted to the needs of people living in different climates, in different time periods, in different cultural environments. And so, yes, I do think it, it, it would probably be easier for somebody to enter into a tradition that maybe comes from their ancestry. On the other hand, sometimes you, there's case anthropological case studies of shamanism where the spirits come to a person and practically harass them until they get initiated. The spirits have their own intentions and agenda. And this, I would say, even it even extends into the lodge system of of ceremonial magic and and lodge esotericism. I mean, I think that the you could say the past masters of those traditions also have a certain influence in this world. So, in short, it's not our place to say who can and cannot participate in anything. But on the other hand, I would say that those people who are from the culture that a uh, religious or esoteric or a mystical or spiritual tradition originates in, those people definitely have a sort of right to it first. But at the same time, I don't think anyone has the right to say that someone cannot, if, if done with reverence and respect, enter into a tradition and practice it if the spirits of that tradition are precisely asking exactly that. Okay, having said that, let's move on to the uh, book review. Like I said, I'm going to make this fairly quick. Um, Going back to a book that we touched on a few years ago when we had uh, Agostino on, Jason Spada for to talk about uh, Catholic mysticism. Um, This is his book, How to Pray the Rosary and Get Results. I find myself recommending it every once in a while to people. I find that people are interested in the rosary, people who are doing uh, folk Catholicism, quote unquote, or uh, practices involving ancestors and saints. um, Lots of questions seem to pop up about the rosary. And so this is a good book. It's, it's a great introduction. It gives you everything you need to know to start practicing with the rosary as soon as you pick it up, essentially. It explains what the rosary is, uh, the history of it, and then it gives you the the prayers that you're supposed to pray and the orders, you know, the sorrowful mysteries, the joyful mysteries, and, and it explains all of those in, in great detail. So yeah, just keep it short and sweet. It's a it's a great book for anyone who's interested in kind of expanding their their practice, particularly their their Christian Catholic. Uh, practice when working with ancestors. I feel like it is a very worthwhile practice. It can help those who you are praying for um, in purgatory. It can help you in, I would say, magic as well. Um, And Jason does talk about how to do that in this book. So highly recommended. It's about just a little over 100 pages and very affordable. 
how to pray the rosary and get results. Jason's name uh, for this book is Brother ADA, and you can find it on Amazon. Right. We also want to give a big thank you to our supporters. We couldn't do it without you. Very grateful for you. Thank you for sticking with us over these years now. We are working on some exciting things in the pipeline. New guests coming down the road for 2022. Okay. And you can get in touch with us via Facebook um, as well as YouTube. You can find all of our stuff on iTunes and all of the normal podcast places where you find podcasts. Feel free to give us a rating and a review that always helps uh, make us feel good. And I think bumps us up the list on, you know, how people are able to view podcasts. Uh, Shout out to our uh, international listeners in Iceland. And I think that would be it for now, unless you have anything else. Stay safe this holiday season. If you're able to spend time with your family, treasure it, cherish it. That's the the core right there. That's the key. Um, you never know when someone you love might be gone a minute later. So really just love the people that are close to you and hold them close to your heart. And if you're, if you're married or in a serious relationship, remember to tell the person you love them. If you're going to see your parents or you're going to see your kids or whatever, look past the differences. Ignore the divisive uh, propaganda that we see on every screen around us and focus back in on the common humanity of the people that are close to you um, because ultimately the love in your heart and the love in their heart, that's really what's important. And I think that that's really the message of the ancestors who have departed this life and no longer live on this plane. Their message is often... Be aware, memento mori, death can come very quickly. Realize the precious, precious gift you have in the people you love and don't waste it even for a split second. Cherish those moments because the end of your life is going to come faster than you realize. Ending on a positive note. Okay, everyone, we will (laughs) see you in the next episode. (laughs) 